All right, maybe we got it going now. That was that was an interesting worship. Thank you for that. Um, stuff happens. Stuff happens, right? And uh, nothing we can do can stifle God from accomplishing what God wants to accomplish. Today we are starting a new series, and we're calling it Soul Detox. And um, this is based on. There's a couple things you need to know. This is based on a book by Craig Groeschel. He's the pastor at LifeChurch.tv. They have campuses all over, literally all over the world. You can go on and you can watch their services, things like that. Now he's written this book, and this book is excellent. I'm a few chapters into it. And the stuff that I'm covering is not in the book. So if you want to go deeper, you grab the book. If you uh, are interested in small groups, my small group will be going deeper into this whole study. And uh, small groups kick off tonight with uh, with all of the child care here at 5 o'clock. If you need a small group to be involved in, then let us know and we'll get you hooked up. Um, so the first concept that we need to understand about this is we are not a body with a soul. We're a soul with a body. All right, this is on your listening guide. Uh, you can follow along. i got to get this working. Maybe I won't play with it the whole time. Um, whenever you die, your body ceases to exist. But your soul goes on and lives somewhere forever. So we are... Uh, we're not a body with a soul, we're a soul with a body. Now, where we get this from is from the very first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. It says this, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. So what he did is he took the dust and he formed the outward part of the body, the part that we all see, the physical part. He, he formed that and then look what he does. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And what did man become? Man became a what? Living soul. He was not alive. He was not a person until God breathed life into him. We're not a body with a soul. We're a soul with a body. Now, why does that matter? Well, let me, let me try to explain it this way. Um, when, whenever Caleb and I would mow lawns, we wouldn't realize that the exhaust from our lawn mowers would infiltrate every piece of clothing on our bodies. If I had hair, it would have been in my hair. It was in his hair, but not in my hair. And so I would come home and my girls would go, you smell like lawnmower. And, and back when we had the red Durango, I pulled my trailer all over the county mowing lawns and Caleb and I wouldn't even think about it, it had cloth seats. And, and so we, we didn't even realize how badly the Durango stunk until one night after youth group on a Wednesday night, some teenage girls were trying to have some privacy in their conversation. They get in my big red Durango and the first thing, not my daughter says, another girl says, Ooh, it smells like lawnmower in here. That is a sexy smell. Let me tell you that. Um, that's why my wife wouldn't go on dates with me in the Durango. Uh, to me, it smelled like extra money, but to everybody else, it's like, ooh, you know, that's, that's nasty. We didn't even realize that when we're in the midst of this um, environment, we are breathing in stuff. We're bringing in toxic fumes, and it's probably affecting us in ways we don't even know. Well, what I want to talk to you about is how we are breathing in toxic fumes from our culture in our souls, and it's destroying us from the inside out. Now, um, it's popular these days to talk about detoxing your physical body and cleansing the physical body. We're going to be talking about detoxing the soul. And where we're going to go in the weeks ahead, uh, weeks ahead, we're um, we're going to look at um, covering the heavy soul and the tortured soul and the seduced soul. But today I want to look at the restless 
soul. And I think that a lot of you are going to recognize your st- yourself in the material that we talk about. In the book of Genesis, again, just a couple of chapters later, there's a story about two brothers. Their names are Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, first two uh, children of, of uh, Adam and Eve. And they... Uh, Cain was one who worked with ground. He was a farmer. Abel was one who worked with livestock. And so it came to a point where they were supposed to go and take their offerings to the, 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 to God, to sacrifice their offerings to God. Now, we're not told exactly why, but we can figure it out later, that, that Cain sacrificed, Cain took some of the, the, the grain or some of the, the, the fruit that he had produced from the land, and that's perfectly acceptable. But for some reason, God didn't accept his offering. Abel, the Bible tells us, took the very best of his flock and he sacrificed to God. God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice. He was not pleased with Cain's. Cain gets jealous and he kills his brother for it because his brother's offering was acceptable to God. His wasn't. He gets jealous and look what God does. God actually pronounces a curse upon Cain because of the blood that he had spilled of his brother. Look what it says in Genesis 4, 11 and 12. God speaking to Cain and he says, now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. I think that because the ground received the blood, because he was a worker of the ground, look what God does. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. So God's saying, you killed your brother, you spilled his blood. The the price is going to be when you work the ground, it will never produce for you again. You will be a restless wanderer. And, And I think restless wanderer is a great term for the normal American. Because the normal American is always searching but never finding, right? I mean, you think about anybody in a third world country, anywhere... In our hemisphere or the world, would they trade places with you in a heartbeat? Yes, because in in their eyes, we are rich. And some of you are going, man, you need to look at my bank account. Look at theirs. I don't care what's in your bank account. If you have a car to drive and you have shelter, you have heat and AC, you're rich in their eyes. And they would trade places with you in a heartbeat. So restless wanderers is, is someone who's always searching, never finding... And we are interested in everything but satisfied by nothing. No matter how much money, how wealthy, what kind of car we drive, we're anxious, tense, and worried about the future. And by definition, that is a restless wanderer. That's a restless soul. Solomon understood this 3,000 years ago. He wrote these words in Ecclesiastes 2. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot what? Rest. See if you recognize yourself in in this. Are there ever times that you can't sleep at night because your mind will not shut off? You're thinking about all the stuff you got to do. Are there ever times when you could be with your family, supposed to be enjoying your family, and you don't even notice what your family is doing because your mind is so racing with the what-ifs, the stuff I've got to do, what's next, and, and you totally miss the moment? Anyone? Did you know your heavenly Father does not want you to live like that? Um, if you push your body relentlessly, what happens to your body? My dad was 91 years old when he passed. Um, I watched my dad work. He's the hardest working man I've ever known in my life. 
And, and I remember when I was a kid, they, they were supposed to work for Phillips Petroleum for 37 years. He was a pipe fitter. He called that a glorified plumber. Um, but they would call him all times of night. When they would have overtime, they were supposed to put whoever worked overtime last. They're supposed to put them at the bottom of the list and then work their way up. They called my dad night after night after night. I actually had one of the vice presidents tell me one time we were at a function. He said, your dad is one man who will never be fired from this plant because he knows way too much and he's willing to work anytime. It would get so bad that my dad would be exhausted. Exhausted. He would work 48 um, hours, sometimes 72 hours with no sleep. We would take him food and, and then he would come dragging home and they would call him again. It would get so bad that when I was eight, nine, ten years old, if I heard mom say, you don't need to work another minute this week, then when the phone would ring at two o'clock in the morning, we had those rotary dial phones and they were at one location in the house. I would run out there and unplug the phone and I would hide it so dad couldn't answer. And that would be the only time dad would and dad didn't protest. He'd stumble back into bed. And so from about 60 on, I saw my dad's physical health deteriorate. Um, he was, he was, we used to call him Popeye, you know, because he had these massive forearms because he was working all the time and, and, um, and, and he lost the use of, of this arm. He's, he's right-handed and he, he smashed a nerve one time. And I just saw my dad from probably from the time he was 70 on, he never stood up straight because his back just started hurting more and more and more. And it destroyed my dad physically. And so my, my kids don't know how tall my dad was um, because he was always stumped over around them. But I got to tell you, as much damage physically as that did to my dad's body, if you have a restless soul and you never find the remedy for it, the consequences are far worse. And they dam- damage generation after generation after generation. So we have to figure out how to combat this. Now, your heavenly father doesn't want you to live this way. So, so what do we do? What's the answer? Now, what I'm going to tell you is going to sound like the preacher answer. But that does not mean it's not true. It is just as true. There's one place and one place only that your soul will find rest. And that is in God alone. Write that down. Our souls find rest in God alone. And, and this is, these are not my words. I want to show you straight from scripture. Psalm 62, 1. David says, my soul finds rest in whom? God, what? Alone. My salvation comes from Him. So you can only find rest for your soul in the Creator of your soul. That means there's no person, no thing, no experience, no vacation, no dream home, no amount of money. There is no thing outside of God that can bring your soul rest. We find it in Him alone. St. Augustine said this to God. He said, You have made us for Yourself, O Lord. And our soul is restless till it finds rest in you. And then, then you come to what Jesus said in, in the New Testament. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you're stressed out, you find it very, very difficult to love the people that you really love the most because your mind will not let you shift out of what needs to get done into focusing on the moment. And you're missing things. You're anxious. And it's going to hurt you physically. But where it really matters in your soul, it's going to destroy you. Stress is an outward manifestation of inward turmoil. And we've got to figure out how to deal with that. The Son of God says, come to me, all you are, who are weary and, and carry heavy burdens. And what will he give you? What will he give you? But he doesn't stop there. Check this out. This is the key. He says, take my yoke upon you. Do my work. Let me teach you. And then you'll find what? 
Rest for your souls. You see, you cannot continue to do life with your focus as the number one priority of your life and get rest from your heavenly father. You have just enough time each day to do God's will for your life. And I'm not saying we should all resign our jobs and go out and live in a monastery. I don't believe that's what the scripture teaches. But you can work for God at your job. You can allow God to use you where you are. And you can focus on him throughout your day. So you can drive nails for the glory of God. You can sweep floors for the glory of God. You can clean toilets. You can change diapers for the glory of God. It, it just depends on where your focus is. And when you do that, God will give you rest for your soul. No other person in the history of the world taught like Jesus. So Jesus said, come to him, take his yoke, learn from him, and he'll give you rest for your souls. The Bible says you find rest in God alone. So let's figure out how to apply that. What I want to do today is take just a few minutes, feed you the bread of life we talked about last week. And I'm praying that you will feed on the bread of life and it will satisfy your soul. Our only hope in this world is to live by the rhythms of God's word and not by the toxic pollution of our culture out there that says you get more, 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 you do more, 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 you go faster, 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 you miss everything. You begin to cheat. You begin to cheat on your relationship with God. You begin to cheat on your relationship with your family. And I'm not saying committing adultery. I'm saying you don't give them the best of you. You give them the leftovers. And nobody married you for the leftovers. They married you for the good stuff. And so we've got to get back to the good stuff, and we only do that through God. How do we do it? Let me show you how to find rest in God. This is going to be so elementary that I think you're, you're, you're going to say, duh, come on, preacher guy, but hang on, stick with me, and we're going to try this out. Number one is be still before God. Psalm 46.10 is, is one of my favorite verses. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. Now, let me go ahead and state the obvious here. Notice the psalmist does not say, be busy and know that I'm God. He doesn't say, be productive and know that I'm God. He doesn't say, be worried and know that I'm God. He doesn't say, be anxious and know that I'm God. He doesn't say, be all revved up and going 90 miles an hour and know that I'm God. He says, be still. And the, the, the phrase means wait and acknowledge that there is a power greater than you. And if you don't turn your life over to him, you have no hope. And you acknowledge him not just with your head, but with your heart. Um, you pause and you reflect. We did this with the band this morning. We just reflected on who God is and, and how, we, how we would feel if we were to see him show up right here. And uh, that's how you pause. Now, I don't know. Have you ever been around a, a kid that just will not stop moving and will not be quiet. And, and some of you are going, yeah, I married that kid and he's still that way. You know, I understand. You ever been around kids like that? And, and don't you, don't you at times just want to go, shut up! Be still! Don't make me pull this car over. You know, that type of deal. You just, you just want to do that. Um, <laughs> let me show you what what the psalmist says we have to do to be still before God. David's talking in Psalm 131, 2, and he says, Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. Like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Who does David say is responsible for quieting his own soul? Himself. That means I can't blame you? 
if I don't worship? No, that can't be what that means. So I got to have somebody else to blame. It can't possibly be my fault. That means if I miss God, I can't blame you. That just doesn't seem fair because I can't reasonably be expected to take responsibility for my own life. It's the American way. Blame somebody else. It's not my fault. He did it. The psalmist says, sometimes you got to say to your soul, shut up and be still. Now, I know that we wouldn't let our kids say shut up for the longest time. I think you had to be 13 in our house before you could say shut up. Is that right? Because it just sounded bad coming from a kid. So, shh, be quiet. But you have to take responsibility for yourself before God. No one else can force you to do that. When is the last time you sat silently before God for five solid minutes? I'm willing to bet a lot of you have never done it. It's a habit that you've never cultivated. And um, this is going to be a lot more difficult than you think because the moment... I remember when our kids were little, this, this was this way. Janie and I talked about this all the time. The moment we would say, God, this is your time. Diapers need to be changed and they need to be changed. I mean, right? It's not like... You know, you're the only one in the house because I'd go, where's mom? She figured that out before long. And it needs to be changed. Or the, the phone would ring back when we had a house phone. We don't have that. And, and, and don't you just, your mind just goes, I wonder who it is. Could be someone important. Could be publisher's clearinghouse. You know, and, and you're wondering. And so all, all of a sudden, your mind is off of God and it's on the phone. Or a text comes in. You get a text now. Doesn't it drive you nuts when you're driving down the road? I know it does because I'm behind you. You pull out those stupid phones. And all the time we'll be driving somewhere. We'll go to Dallas or we'll go to Houston, whatever. And there'll be people all over the road. And I'll say, I look at Janie, I'll say, they're texting. And sure enough, you get up beside them and they're looking at the phone. The moment you try to still yourself before God, your enemy will go into action and try to cause all kinds of distractions because what he does not want is you to be filled with the image of your creator because that's when you get rest for your soul. And some of you are going to say, I don't have time to spend five minutes before God. With all due respect, you don't have time not to because your souls are being destroyed. And everybody knows it but you. We just need to examine our own hearts. Five minutes, be still and know that I'm God. So I just, I, I just want to dare you to try it. And in fact, we're going to do this here in a minute. And it's going to be painful for some of you. And so you're going to have to be still and you're going to have to tell your soul to shut up. Shh, be quiet. Number two, how to rest in God, how to find rest in God is wait for God. All right. David says in Psalm 37, 7, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. How many of you are good at waiting? Let me see your hands. You're just professional waiters. Really? Really? Janie and I were in a line the other day, and I mean, we hadn't been there 60 seconds, and I said, Waiting's my favorite! And I make it unbearable because I'm such an idiot. I can't, you know, I'm, and I'm always forever. I'm looking at the cash registers bef- long before I get up. When I come in Walmart, I'm looking at the cash registers, trying to figure out which one I'm going to. And if you don't know how to go through the self-check line, I'm going to smack you in the head. <laughs> there ought to be an IQ test before you go through the self-check. But that's another day. Um, I went to the dentist right before Christmas and... Um, <laughs> 
and I had, we were leaving town that day. And, and, uh, and so I got in there and, you know, I, I, first thing I do is I look at Janie talks about this all the time. For some reason, God has favor on me. I think he just, he, he just knows that I might explode if I have to wait too long. And so when I go to the doctor's offices, usually I get in quickly in the dentist's offices and she's like, dude, I would be there for a couple of hours. And I'm like, I wouldn't even stay that long. So anyway, I go to the dentist and, and I'm sitting there and there's a dude in front of me. Well, I know how many, how many rooms are back there. I know how many people are, should be in there. And I'm one of the first ones of the day. And so anyway, I'm sitting there and, and, uh, they said, would you update all this stuff? So I look at it. It's all the same. I hand it back to her and I'm sitting and I'm sitting and I'm sitting. And I texted Janie and I said, I'm giving them 15 minutes and I'm out of here. Because that's what we did in college, right? If you had, if they had their doctorate, it was 15 minutes and you got to walk. If they didn't have their doctorate, it was 10 minutes. We would be watching the clock, counting down, cheering the clock. And when it got there, boom, even if the professor was walking in, we were walking out. See ya, sucker. Those were the best days of my life. And I sat there and finally I went up and I said, look, I said, I said, this is not your fault. This is my fault, but I cannot be here much longer. I'm going to go nuts. And they said, hang on, we got a place for you. And I said, I'm walking out the door at 10 o'clock. And that was, you know, I said, you, whatever you have to do to me, you have to be able to do it in that amount of time because I'm checking out. And they were laughing at me and, and I was very kind. I was just like, I can't sit here. You don't understand. How many of you are good waiters, right? Some of you, for, most of you, how many of you relate to what I just said? Okay, all right. There's more like me than not like me. Look what um, people say, I never hear from God. And, and really, the reason you don't hear from God is you don't wait for God to speak. Because God doesn't speak on your time frame. He's God. He speaks on His. And so, sometimes... Sometimes it's it's the first minute God lays something on my heart. But sometimes he doesn't speak to me until the 30th minute. And you have to be willing to give him a chunk of your time. Because you have to have unhurried, unrushed time to hear the still small voice of God. Um, look what the psalmist said in one, uh, Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6. He says, I wait for the Lord... And in his word, I put my hope. That's a big deal. In his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Some of you say, I've never waited on God. And my response to you is, that's why you never hear from God. This, this says, the, the idea in the Old Testament was that there were watchmen, literally watchmen on the wall at night. And their job, they could die if they didn't do their job. Their job was to scan the horizon, see if there's any movement, because they had to alert the rest of the city so that they could defend themselves. And you can imagine, you understand what this watchman is saying. He's on the wall and he knows every morning when the sun comes up, it's quitting time. So he says, my soul waits for you, God, like the watchman waits for the morning. Because y'all done that. I had, a, I had a job where I worked 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. for this computer company. And we, we, had, um, we, we ran software for nuclear power companies around the world. And, and the only people up in the middle of the night were the Germans. They don't speak English. They would type Guten Morgen. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I would be watching the clock until it struck 7 a.m. And I was like, yes, I'm out of here. The psalmist is suggesting that you may not hear from God until you have such a deep desire and a, such a deep expectation that God's going to show up. Because what do we do? We pray, and if He doesn't answer us immediately, we go on to the next thing. 
We pray, and if he doesn't answer, we, we go on to the next thing. And God is still back at our first request. He won't force it on us. But if you'll learn, just like that watchman said, the sun comes up every day. It's been coming up every day since the beginning of time till now. If you will begin to expect God to show up. Psalm 5.3. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and I wait in expectation. If you will expect, to God, expect God to show up, I think he'll begin to remove the scales from your eyes and allow you to see he's been there the whole time. You've just been moving so fast, you didn't recognize him. So we have to wait for God. Number three, reflect on God's goodness. How many of you do this? Whenever you have a still moment, you immediately begin to think of what has to be done next. How many? So as soon as you're quiet, i got to do this next. Instead of that, here's what we're going to have to develop the habit of doing. Instead of thinking about what comes next, I want you to reflect on what God has already done. I did this yesterday. I did this last night. And, and I began to reflect on what God has already done in the life of our church. And by the time I rehearsed all those things that God had done, I'm fully expecting God to show up any moment and do the next big thing. And, and I'm just going to tell you that um, if your mind is cluttered with what you have to do next, you will miss God. Look what Psalm 116, 7 through 9 says. Be at rest once more, O my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For the Lord, for you, O Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Let me just tell you very quickly some of the blessings you have if you're a follower of God. If you're a follower, you need to understand he's forgiven you. You're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. That should bring rest to your soul. But there's more. He will not hold your sins against you, casting them into the sea of forgetfulness. God chooses to remember your sins no more when you confess your sins. You reflect on who he is, that, that our God is the Alpha, the Omega, He's the beginning, the end. He's the first and the last. He is the one who was and is and is to come. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the soon returning, conquering King of kings and Lord and lords. We serve a God who is so big that he's working in all things, good things, bad things, all things to bring about good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He says that you will be blessed coming in and blessed going out. And he is the one that declares, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to hurt you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That ought to bring a calmness to our souls. You begin to think about and worry about tomorrow and you realize my God is already there. If that doesn't bring calm to your soul, I don't think you know who God is. So you have to rehearse what has God already done for me? What has he promised to do in the future? And then are you going to choose to believe what your eyes see? Or what the word says? Because the psalmist said, I put my hope in your word. The word does not change. The word of God lasts forever. If he said it, he's going to do it. And, and by the way, some, I've heard this statement, seen it on bumper stickers years ago. God said it, that believes it. I believe it, that settles it. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And it doesn't mean a rip what you believe. God said it, that settles it. Whether you believe it or not, there's going to be millions of people who bow before God 
who said there is no God. Their lack of belief does not determine whether God does what he says he's going to do. My belief does not determine whether God does what he says he's going to do. God's going to do it. And if I'm a follower of his, then I get underneath the authority of his word and I obey what he tells me to do. Now, our spiritual enemy, if he can't make you bad, he wants to make you busy. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to bow our heads, and I'm going to ask you to quiet yourself before the Lord. Some of you are freaking out about this. Be still before God, wait on the Lord, and reflect on what He's done. This morning, I came early, and I was down here on my face. And, and I actually set the timer. I just wanted to see what it was like five minutes before God. And I just kept saying to God, I love you, and I want to do whatever you tell me to do. And He brought Isaiah 6. When, when, Isaiah, uh, when Isaiah went to the temple, in the, king, uh, in the year King Uzziah died, I went to the temple and I saw God. Last night, I don't know if you ever do this, last night I got up and I went to the bathroom, because like, you know, I have, I have the bladder of my father, um, who was 91 when he passed. Um, so I go to the bathroom all the time at night. And what happens to me, I go to the bathroom and I come back and I lay down in bed, and no matter how tired I am, something will capture my mind, and I begin to worry about it. Anybody do that? And, and if you know how to worry, you know how to worship. Because worry is chewing over and over and over the scenarios, over and over again. What you need to do is replace what you're worrying about with the worship of the Father. And so, I'm not kidding you, laying in my bed at 3 o'clock last night, the verse that God brought to my mind was, was uh, Philippians um, 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. And then I just started repeating over and over, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. And I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I probably did a hundred times. When I got finished, there was a peace in my soul. Next thing I know, it's 6 a.m., time to get up. I kept saying God's word until I believed it in the innermost part of my being. That's replacing what you're worried about with truth. So bow your heads for just a moment. And I know we got some kids in here. Kids, just be quiet. And let people just wait on God, be still before God, and reflect on what God has done. Father, I know that so many of us are weary, we're overwhelmed, we're revved up, wound up in our souls. God, we just pause in a moment of humility, reminding ourselves that you're God and we're not, and so we're going to trust in you. With your head still bowed, if you're one of those that your soul is so often revved up that you can't hear God and you miss moments, raise your hand. Keep them up while I pray. God, I pray that we would enter into a spiritual rest on this earth that is beyond what we've ever known before. That we would understand there is a peace that surpasses all human understanding to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. 
God, I pray that this church, at this church, we would be people who would seek you first and that we would have the discipline to still ourselves before you, to reflect on your goodness, to open up your word and to wait, to know, God, that you are like, just like the sun comes up, you will show up. God, to seek you and to wait for you. And I pray that as we wait for you, our souls would find rest. Put your hands down. If you're not a child of God, if this is kind of foreign to you, then I just challenge you to pray this prayer in your heart silently. Heavenly Father, would you please save me from my sins? Would you take my life and make it something new? I believe Jesus died in my place so that I could live for you today. Help me to find rest and to live my life for you. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. I give you everything of me. Amen. When we finish here in a second, um, those of you who have prayed, if, that, if you prayed that prayer today and, and you've never been baptized or maybe you want to be rebaptized, just meet me up here. We're going to take about five minutes and talk through some things. You can ask some questions. So when we dismiss, you just come up here and, and no question is, is uh, a bad question. If it's in your mind, you come up and, and you ask it. Um, and then I, I just want to challenge you. If you need, um, if you need a place to connect with people, small groups are the place to connect with people. You can come here at 10 a.m. and spend an hour out here in the living room and you can talk and you can chit chat, but you cannot connect with people until you get in a small group. There's a men's study on Sunday morning. There's a men's study at Jeff's tomorrow night. There is uh, a ladies study that's, that's starting, going to have some fun on Wednesday night. And then there are small groups that meet in homes. And if you want to connect, if you don't feel like you're connecting with people of God, then, then you need to get in, into a small group. I don't know how to, how to say it any better than that or any stronger than that, that you need to connect with people because you're going to become like those people that you hang out with the most. If you want your marriage to succeed, hang out with people who like their spouses. It's contagious. If you want to grow in Christ, hang out with people who like Jesus. <laughs> I mean, right? So you have to make that choice.